Hello, you're listening to the Consequential End of Year podcast. End of year, we made it, we're still alive. Woo, just about. Well, there's a whole podcast to go yet, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yes, that's true. We we are worried that we will murder one another, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Also, my bones hurt. End of year choices. Your bones hurt. My bones hurt. You ate all that ham. And what ham? Also, we have uh, a package here from Miss uh, Clary Maguire, which, yeah, which we think might be full of scorpions. I don't know, it looks a bit slender for scorpions, but it could be lots of small scorpions. Kitten curse, poop, curse kitten, poop kitten poop, kitten poop. Shall we open it and find out? She's a bad lady, I feel, I feel a sure. bit... Well, well, she sent it to all of us, and I do ah. feel a bit um, like an 80s TV presenter. I've got a lovely letter here from a young lady. Well, you know, something well, let's, like that. Let's find out what's in there. Let's... Um, okay. So, is, is Clary, is she working on a comic at the moment? I know she's doing a lot of illustrating. I think, yeah, I think she's she's illustrating the Doctor Who thing, mm. I believe. But Clary, if, um, if we're wrong about that, berate us on Twitter or something. It's not Scorpions! Yay! Yay! What is it? It is, in fact, the bumper book of Solar Wind, two volumes of it, which is what fucking is, horrifying. What is the bumper <laughs> book of Solar Wind? The bumper book of Solar Wind is the National Comic Award-winning tribute to British adventure comics of the 1970s and 80s. Um, basically, it's a load of Brit comics stars getting together and making a load of terrifying comics in the vein of eagle or action or things like that. Oh, that's quite a cover. That's that, there's, oh, that's almost a David Bowie-level crotch bulge as well. Oh, yeah, he's in a labyrinth of sorts. There is. Yeah. So, thank you, Clary. And if anyone else wants to send us comics with bulgy crotches, I think we're, we're all down with that. Bulgy crotches, flat crotches. We're not, you know, crotch racists. Yeah, that's not actually Helvetica. Ladies and gentlemen, Roger Hart. Roger Hart. Um, oh, today's so podcast wine is... Um... <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Sorry, today's podcast wine. No, that wasn't even self-parody. Today's podcast wine is actually quite a cool... So I, I would recommend this one. It's um, the Yolumba Old Old Blush Vine Grenache. It's a Barossa Australian... Um, it's an old wine Grenache. It's really tasty. It's fruity as balls. 2012, people. Yeah. It's reasonably priced as well. Co-op? Yeah, I didn't even know. But they, they have a decent selection. Um, Cold always does. It's, it's about £10. It's pretty decent. Probably the best wine you can buy on Milton Road. Yeah, I, I would say so. There you go. So while you're arguing about comics with uh, two of your close friends, drink this. I, I can also test it. It's very nice. It's a, it's a textbook Grenache, but there is a slightly Ribena-ish edge to it. I think that'll soften as it breathes. You can also drink water. Water is a viable alternative to booze. It sort of is. I prefer coffee. You're like our horrifying government warning, sort of. <laughs> I do a lot of drugs, let's be honest. Yeah, fair enough. I'm no better than you people. And we all ate the pretzels. We did all eat the pretzels. We had a lot of pretzels. At the risk of giving me bum trouble. So basically, what we're going to do this week, that's going to sound like I edited it really badly. <laughs> you just, just spoke jump, weird. Jumping from bum trouble. Hashtag bum trouble. Jumping from bum trouble over to, to the podcast. Uh, this week we're gonna we're gonna go over our best comics of the year, and I think it's been it's we're not gonna have any sort of running order because that seems desperately unfair, and none of us really want to pick favourites or anything like that because it's more work, frankly. Yeah. Um, for us, this is an idea we shamelessly stole from the panel at Thought Bubble, and we thank them for it a good deal. Which one did we steal? What the, be- the, the best thing we've read all year discussion. Like they well, they do it really well. It's fun. To be honest, I decided that it would be better to have a. a a, a sort of best of list generated from the podcast because I was never going to get you fuckers to write it down 
So I, I sent you that email. I that can write, maybe. Just a picture of your balls. <laughs> they always look like landscape up they close. They do look like landscape up close. Martian or other? Iraq. Mm. Iraq. It's My, a dusty place. Mine look more like Europa. I'm a frigid, frigid man. <laughs> well, anyway. Roger so, Hart's balls, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to go for three, three comics best of the year each. More if we get time. Possibly some special awards at the end. I don't think I've got more than three, so let's hope we don't have time. I might do a little coder about webcomics. A webcoder? Yeah. But not Kodak, because mm, no. it's good, but it's not that good. I'm not a webcoder, as in someone who codes on the web. Yeah, I, different, different I code on the web. I know. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Which does make you a cool guy. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> what about my beard? Uh, well, well you've between got a cat. the beard and the loose capacity to wank on about JavaScript frameworks, I don't know. Maybe. I don't really think you're going to go with loose capacity to wank. <laughs> <laughs> He's clawing at his shoulder, people. He's clawing at his shoulder, but there's nothing there. Roger. Hello. Your first comic of the year. Um, okay, so... Um, I, I I had a really hard time choosing. I've done so much more reading this year than I did last year as well. Um, unfortunately, I've been catching up on a lot of old stuff, so I haven't. We're restricting ourselves to things that were published this year, kind of, or reissued at a push. So I was going to talk about the lengths, which I we've talked about before, and I reviewed on the blog. This is Hor Dogs, yeah. Yeah, this is this is comic by Howard Hardiman, um, a lovely man with a, a very good comic, and he finally got the whole thing collected as a hardback. They had a launch party at Gosh, which I forgot to go to because I'm an asshole. But um, it's okay. You probably won't. Also, we live in the provinces. Mm, we do. We do. We are. We are bumpkins. But um, rubes. Speak for yourself. I've got a Honda Civic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, so we. Um, so I was. We what? Uh, I was going to talk about that, but it isn't. I'll talk about it a bit at the end. But it, it kind of. It was last year. It was reissued this year. I, feel like it was, uh, just, I mean, it was. It was your big discovery. I thought by the last year. Yeah, I and it's, it's fucking smashing. It's. Um, what I hadn't realised, apparently, I was talking to a friend who um, picked it up at the launch do, uh, is there's a little little bit of extra material in the um, the hardback. Oh, fun. So if you've dabbled in the singles or, fuck it, you just want to give Howard some money, uh, I would absolutely recommend buying that because it's got a bunch of um, source material interviews and a little bit of explanation. Cool. It's really nicely produced as well. It's, just it's, generally, it's a nice it's very, very sort of big. I think it's bigger and better reproduced than the singles. Yeah, um, it's really pretty. Although I do think it suffered slightly from the faint gloss to the publishing, so I quite like the, the case. I quite like the madness of the singles. I think that goes with um, it. It goes with the dourness of bits of it. It goes with the the slightly yeah. The so, so interesting point of comics culture, which may actually not be interesting, but given the amount of books, comic books that I read, mm. which are indie. And the singles I read, which tend to be slightly less indie, mm. I actually find my singles shinier mm. than my books. So that's generally the case. Broadly speaking, but not always speaking, sad comics, matte finish. Very matte. Um, so you can you can correct for that. There's there's ways of printing very nicely on the, the shiny stuff, but generally things don't transfer. And mm-hmm. uh, so you see it a lot with old collections where they get the original comics and print them on gloss, and they look like neon bullshit mm-hmm. because oh, no one, yeah. no one God, corrected yeah. the colours. So, I mean, I've been personally affected by this, like, actually affected by it, because uh, when Image reissued uh, Cowboy Ninja Viking, it had a quote from me in the back, and uh, really? I can't buy it, because it's on glossy bullshit paper, and they haven't corrected the colouring, and I will not support that, 
even though even though I'm, I'm, you got quoted I'm, in Gathering of News Viking. Yes. How? I didn't know what? that for writing about it. Oh, oh was that on one on, on the other side? Oh, yeah. the other side. But anyway, my, my I am that that committed to to not supporting glossy bullshit reproductions that so, I will not buy something that has my quote in it. And this this was a problem I was reading. And they can quote me on that. They won't. No, they, they, they really won't. They won't, no. I, I, oh, so I was reading um, this week uh, Change and trying to take some pictures of it because hipster bullshit. And yeah, it was kind of difficult. But anyway, um, so the length is great and we might come back to it later. Um, Does one of you have a copy of the hardback I can borrow? No, I only no. have the Okay, box. that's fine. I'll um, buy it myself with my own money. But uh, So my, my first pick is um, probably, and I talked about this I think on the last podcast, uh, Mind Management. So it has been, it's been running as singles, hasn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah, it has. It started as singles last year, got collected um, in two volumes this year. Mm. So there's, um, I, I, this is kind of, I might as well get this out of the way because I think this is going to apply to a lot of the stuff we talk about. We are, well, I am not reading singles at all. I just decided that it was a road to fiscal ruination. Um, I think you And having a bunch of singles in your house yeah. as well. And I think you've slimmed down on singles. So we're, I, well, sort of, I've... I've slimmed down to the extent that I will basically, if someone thrusts one at me, I'll bat it away from them, but I do buy four or five currently. Yeah. So I'm, I'm quite behind on stuff. I would love to have talked about New Avengers. Uh, I read the trade this Young year. Young Avengers. Sorry, Young yes, Avengers. Young Avengers. Yeah. I, Young Avengers, which is absolutely fucking smashing. But I don't feel qualified to comment on it in this review because I am what what is by now two trades behind um, because it's just, just not been issued. Anyway, so um, my management... Running, is it? I think it is still running. Second volume was out in trade a couple of months yeah, ago. Yeah, no, it's, it's still going, despite uh, the fact that Matt Kent is now writing everything. Yeah. So the first volume was massively better than the, the second. That was collected in trade, I think, early this year, um, ran in singles last year. The second volume is still great. I've talked about it at some length before. Shady government conspiracy program nonsense about um, people with weird psychic abilities. Very nicely weird psychic It's almost like the sensible version of Chew. Uh, but um, it's, it's got a nice uh, sort of conspiracy recovery angle. Mario, the main character, is, try is amnesiac, is trying to remember what happened to her, is, is reconstructing her life at the same time as she picks away at the conspiracy in a fairly standard thriller structure. Still not a Japanese cat in a box. No. Um, all Thank of that you. jazz that I have talked about before. Um, good cat. It's got some lovely structural devices that can get annoying, but that basically work, like the running counterpoint story in the... Um, text in the margins. It's a beautiful. They're beautifully produced books. I think they're Dark Horse. They dark yeah, Horse? they are. Yeah, uh, they're very nice pieces of hardback publishing. Just giant, them. thick, large format. Yeah, really they're, they're big lovely. hardback. It's, it's thick. It's thick print stock. Really nice color reproduction. Um, absolutely. Shouldn't matter, gorgeous. but it does. No, it's like reading Kitchen Diaries. You remember the, when Kitchen Diaries first came out, and it was just one of the most gorgeous pieces of cookbook publishing. Yeah, it, it smells the same as well. I think they've used a very similar print stock. I'm pretty sure everyone listening can relate to that anyway. I gotta say, these guys are nerds about other stuff too. But you've probably figured sure. that out, dear listener. Yeah. Well, I just yeah, I just geeked out about print stock. I've every everything I've picked uh, for this this year is entirely graded on the quality of the print stock. Mm. Yeah, like some seriously weighty thin fibre papers they're, they're good publishers this is the shit that people care about but my management is um, it's it's a textbook sci like semi-sci-fi if, if telepathy counts as sci-fi thriller in one sense 
it's very pacey in the first volume, less pacey but still great in the second volume, um, more human, more punchy emotionally in, in the second volume. It kind of goes back to recover bits of the characters' pasts and um, slowly moves a couple of them together. It's not clear how it's going to end, it's not actually playing to cliché in a way that it would be very easy for it to do. I think it feels like it's got a three volume run in it, I'd be surprised if it had much more. but. The, the, the premise that they've hung their hat off in the second one could extend indefinitely. If they do that, it'll end up as flaccid bullshit. If they keep it tight, it'll be amazing. Uh, the art's great. It's sort of periodically choppy and ugly, but there's some really nice line work. The colouring's good. They, the colouring really makes use of the um, sort of paper tone and print feel as well. So things occasionally get a bit watercolory and splashy outside the boundaries and sort of colour shifts and moved, moves around a bit. The it's first volume looked almost like it was done with colouring pencils in places. It mm. had a sort of pastel-y and crayon-y look to yeah. it. It was very... Colouring is in that is very different to a lot of comics. It very much looks like its own thing. It's a very restrained palette as well. The palette is... This thing I've become quite... I, I'm quite badly colourblind and started in comics by reading very mainstream stuff where, let's be honest, colouring was shit. Like sure. So ten years ago. Well, yeah, yeah. So Marvel ten years ago, we weren't talking about horrible. great coloring. Yeah, a lot um, of really horrible stuff. So between those two things, it took me a long time to actually appreciate genuinely fucking awesome color work. And I've recently been switched onto it because of some of the things I've reading. My, been reading my management is one of them. Also, um, got a really nice primer on this at the um, Young Avengers deconstructed panel at the level, where they had a bunch of colorists talking about kind of the way they worked and the way they thought. Yeah, they had um, uh, Nick Spencer yeah, and showing Dennis a lot of Sloan Young, I think, was there as yeah. well. She coloured Change, um, Alice Scott's pseudo-Cthulhu, weird, L.A. nonsense book that yeah. comes so close to the edge of bad writing and then pulls it back spectacularly. It's I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through a review for the blog, I'm not going to talk about it today, but the colour there does so much heavy lifting, it's astounding. There's Geordie Belair as well, who mm. sort of in the last couple of years seems to be colouring so much mainstream stuff and doing it very well and doing very different jobs. Is, is yeah. David is David Aha doing his own colours on Hawkeye? No. Uh, the Matt Hollingsworth is the colour mm. on Hawkeye. That's great as well. That is great. And I mean if you especially if you've sort of looked at the complexity of Aha's drawings mm. and the sort of so his his pencil work is incredibly complex as you'd imagine and then the line work picks out very, yeah. very small bits while preserving the the, the mm. Uh, the perspective and the the expression, yeah. and then Matt Hollingsworth's sort of very flat colours work really well with that. But I think that's just. I think there's there's a, there's been a sudden tendency in the last couple of years to get a lot of very interesting colourists, who really understand um, these things a lot more, and and for a uh, a capacity for more interesting colour in mainstream comics. Yes. Because I think there was a very general look of shiny gradient fill Photoshop uh, nonsense, well, lots you, and lots of shiny muscles. Some of the good stuff from a while ago, like the was it Wendell Cassidy Astonishing X Men? Yeah. So and that's 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 the good version of boring coloring. Yeah, it's, it's still just, mm. there's some great stuff in that though. Like the, the, there's some really effective uses of coloring. Like there's the bits where. Um, the stuff with cable and not cable, sorry, uh, Colossus the, and the, the basement tones. Yeah, there's this um, sort of use use of actual light and things. And then mm. the bit that I always remember from that is when um, there's a sort of 
Cyclops, who is kind of a, a shitty, shitty character by X-Men standards. He's kind of generally whiny and trying to do the right thing while everyone's doing heroic shit around him and he's trying to follow the rules. Um, sort of, he's completely unleashed and everything's just completely washed out red. Um, and it looks amazing and is very, very effective with quite stark imagery and a lot of colour. Mm. I could dis- There's a three-panel progression there that I could spend 20 minutes dissecting because it tells you some stuff around the comparative, uh, relative comparative structures between the way things you can do in comics and things you can do in other media, where basically Wetton has to massive, effectively explain the joke or massively oversell the line because there's no other way of finishing it and it kind of spoils it, but I'm not going to get into that now. Um, Anyway, uh, Mind Management. You should read it because it's a really good, daft, sort of conspiracy-ish thriller. Um, It's beautifully drawn, it's quite atmospheric, and it's probably not going to turn into bollocks. When I was halfway through, the last podcast when I talked about it, I was halfway through the second volume, and I was worried it was going to go to a very glib, very tedious place. And it's going to a slightly different, still not massively original, but really well done place, and I'm liking it. Okay, good. Lucy, what's your first choice? So my first choice is a comic I haven't actually drawn yet about Roger fucking a ham, but I think I can crank it out right. before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do, do, you, do you still need those reference photos? I, I do, yeah. If you could get on that, that would be <laughs> literally that ham. <laughs> get on it. Oh, oh. Get on the scene. Oh, so what, what's all the machine? Well, what's your actual first choice? My actual first choice is Sex Criminals. Oh, excellent. It only took you a minute from me asking uh, to actually get into the point. It took him four, so that's pretty Thanks. good. Um, oh, yeah, he did do a digression, didn't he? Don't digress about his fucking digression. <laughs> Sex Criminals. Sex Why criminals. is it good? It's good. It's, um, it's really well written. It's a cool concept. It looks fucking pretty as... Um, I like it. I think. I like it sort of... It's really enjoyable. ...wholeheartedly in a way that... Mostly I like reading comics because they make me feel pretty sad and I like feeling pretty sad, but this one doesn't make me feel sad. I mean, it's, it's got the feels because I need the feels. It does, yeah. But it's also got the pretty and it's it's the characters are very engaging and... I can't remember if it was the second or third um, issue because I, I really liked the first issue, but I wasn't sort of sold on the whole... There was a buzz around the comics industry of this is the best thing, this is happening, this is amazing. Yeah. And then it got to the Queen sequence. Um, that might be the third, so I haven't actually got to the third yet. It's, okay. There's a, there's it's a, my weekend reading. There's, there's a sequence with Queen. It's kind of amazing. Um, How does it avoid being disposable? Given so it would be it would be so easy to do that thing so frivolously. The. The build-up of character depth is from the beginning and just incredibly well-paced. Mm. So by the time you get to the bit where it might be disposable, you've got enough invested in the main characters that it's just not. Sweet. At least that's how I found it. Yeah, I think there's you also... You may disagree. Each, so there's a flashback structure. It's Which is great, I love it's flashbacks. Sort of, it's, it's Matt Fraction. There's always going to be a flashback structure. There's like eight within any issue in Hawkeye. Matt Flashback. Matt Flashback, yes. Um... He was so lovely at Thought Bubble. So lovely. I, and you didn't you didn't lick him? I didn't lick him, no, because I, I basically just had to twist Exercise my arm. Exercise self-control. Yeah. Also, I think Kelly Sudeconic would have nutted you. Yeah, she's terrifying. She's a scary lady. She's brilliant and terrifying. Yeah. Um, you want him to adopt you, though, and dress you up like Godzilla and he's yeah, in the town to smash. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, but, no, 32 so, years So old. there's this flashback structure where the two main characters who both stop time when they're having sex are robbing a bank, and someone 
is trying to stop them. Um, and it keeps jumping back into sort of points in their nascent sexuality. So each, each bit tends to be around something different. So the first issue is all about um, the, the sort of the female lead learning about her sexuality and... and uh, her sort, sort of, of family problems as yeah, well. Yeah, and they're sort of very much focused on her teenage years. And then there's, they do something similar with the male lead, but quite different, and they're sort of jumping to different points in their history. And it jumps between that and them getting to know one another and so on. So mm-hmm. you're basically jumping between bank robbery and relationship drama. Mm-hmm. Which is good. It's a good combo. Also, I like both things. So I didn't put a, well. So basically, we kind of agreed that I wouldn't say this is one of mine because you were saying it was one of yours. But but it's I'm, one of I'm going to call it out for the letters pages. Yeah, because the letters pages are fucking brilliant. This is there why I'm not reading singles. Four pages of letters dedicated to the cultural phenomenon of finding porn in the woods. Four <sighs> pages of letters. Did about you ever that. do that? No, no, I've never done that. There's no words so in Essex. The, there's no words. No, you cut them all down we, and put broken glass there instead. And so yeah, syringes, lovely. syringes too. The prep school I went to was um, different worlds. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake! It's not like anyone's surprised. It wasn't the prep school thing. It was. It was the fact that you've got a porn in the woods story. I'm really happy about this. No, no, no. It's, it's just the segue. I'll be honest. It was the segue. We were years too early to write segues. In the woods. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. Um, no, it was it was on a hill um, on some riverbanks with some woodland, and was it up on a winding, windy moor? No, <laughs> I'm not that fucking northern. Um, You're lucky I didn't start singing that. <laughs> and yeah, it, we had the classic teenage porn experience. You would go down by the riverbanks, and there would be little caches of porn in and amidst the trees, and it would always be kind of crap. It was it was absolute treasure if you found some proper hardcore. Are we talking but, no better than the case catalogue, or um, we're talking than the case slightly catalog. better than page three? But, okay. Uh, this was like when I was very very young and still like slightly convinced that I could potentially be excited by tits, but. I, yeah, it was never to be. So, are people doing this as, as some Cuts. sort of porn philanthropy, or are they just scared that the binman's going to find it if they just throw it out? Faplanthropy. Fat philanthropy. Fat right? We're calling that one. Um, I I don't know. I honestly don't know what the mechanism what the mechanism of us finding this porn was, but it then became this this massive thing that we had to because we didn't give back to the community. We just fucked off with it. Um, right, no, well that, I mean, you're in, you're in uh, prep school, that stuff is fucking currency. Oh yeah, you could get, like, a little bit of, a couple of pages of, you, you could buy a lot of stuff, that was like prison cigarettes. Yeah. Um, so I can only assume that there was a group of dirty old men near your prep school who got a thrill out of giving pornographic material to young boys. I guess. I mean, that's a thing, I assume. I don't know. People I have a lot of things, sex things. 34, that must, that must be a thing. Yeah. But yeah, no. I thought our dildo, I mean. Yeah. Macaron dildo. Macaron vibrator. Sorry, um, yeah, Paul in the Woodlands, totally a thing. I, I should stop derailing this with my horrible child. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Um, so basically that does exist, it's a thing. Four pages of letters to Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky about it has convinced me that it's definitely a real phenomenon. But there are also things um, fucking lovely about it as well. You couldn't pick two nicer guys to write letters about Paul in the Woods to. You could probably pick nicer than Zdarsky. <laughs> well. <laughs> but that's the thing, is the whole... So it's it's very smartly written and the illustration is great. It's also but kind of it's just lovely mm-hmm. in a way. It just really is. It's also a dude writing women very well, which we need more of. Is there yeah. anything in particular that differentiates that? Not sorry, as in that differentiates how well it's done. I, I 
So it's, it's did, I, did I just ask a horribly sexist question? I it's mm. especially the first issue. It's from a female perspective, in a way that doesn't feel clunky or like someone else trying on the skin of something they've never lived. It and feels he, and he natural. It. Yeah. As someone with ovaries, I'm qualified to comment on mm. this. And Such fine ovaries they are too. Oh, yeah, you, you were showing me that certificate. Mm. Grand sex criminals. Two out of three recommendations for that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. It sounds great. You should do. It is great. I, I might actually lend you paper copies of it so you can read the letters page. Horn mm. in the woods. It's a transformative experience. So for me, the first thing I'm going to mention. It's okay. We would have asked you if no, you paused. No, no, you would. No, you would. No, you would. I'm feeling we, charitable. No, we would have talked about dildos. I'm feeling charitable. <laughs> Six Gun Gorilla. Mentioned it on here a few times. I read your review and it made me want to read it. I haven't read your review. I'm sorry. It is a. It is a. We had the. We had the best traffic. Uh, second best traffic ever yesterday. What so was the best. The the best was more. I'm not saying. But we had we had the second best traffic yesterday. The best was about double. Thanks to no six more. Fuck you. I thought we'd had like a huge spike for. Um, what was the best for? Is what I meant. Uh, for a piece of content. It was for. The third podcast. Yeah. So there you go. Third one's a good one, people. Yeah. Third one. Third back one's great. Year, go for the third go one. Go back. Stop anyway. this shit. Stop it now. Anyway. Don't stop it now. Anyway. Please stay. If they stopped it now, <laughs> I they need you. I hear you entreat you not to stop it now. This, <laughs> oh is the, this is the future radio, dude. My brain is exploded. Six Gun Gorilla. Yes. I cannot wrangle you, people. This is awful. Um, Six Gun Gorilla. So I. Bought Six Gun Gorilla because it's called Six Gun Gorilla, and on the front of it, there's a gorilla with two six guns, and that's why I bought it. That's mm-hmm. why I'm reading that. Thankfully, um, it made me not an idiot for doing so by being much cleverer than that. Um, so basically, it gradually uh, tails off into being a, another story about stories, and it's a really good one of those. Um, basically, the main character is a suicidal librarian. There's a lot of rich potential there, suicidal librarians. Um, on a sort of fr- for 2014. Fu- future frontier in, uh, in a parallel universe where physics don't work. Um, which allows the author, Simon Spurrier, or Cy Spurrier, I don't know how formal we're being with him, um, a lot of room to play around with sort of nature of reality, how stories relate to reality. I'm the fairly sure we saw him dance at the Port Bubble. I don't think a lot of formality is required. No, no, hey, sorry. Was he wiggling his tush? He, he was, was shaking what his mama gave him. Getting a serious groove on. Anyway, I can't say much about it without getting too spoilery because it's very... Um, each issue tends to take a different aspect of story and how story relates to um, personal narratives, real life... Um, reality TV, these sorts of things. So, I can't say too much other than it's brilliant, and the artwork by Jeff Stokely is fucking brilliant. Like, I cannot stress that enough. The art is genuinely brilliant. Um, he's he's not written, uh, or he's not drawn a lot of comics. Um, I think there's sort of one big work before that, and a couple of bits around there. But he's genuinely fucking brilliant. Um, and I told him so a couple of weeks ago, and slightly... Fanboyish. Yeah, I, I, I was like five seconds away from curtsying before I decided <laughs> that discretion was the better part of Valor. Did, did you keep your hands where, where you could see them? Absolutely, yeah. I know the protocols. Good. 
okay. know the protocols, but that's that's my first choice for coming to the year, six gun gorilla, which should be collected as a trade early next year. So it's interesting. I think it probably speaks more to my biases than anything else. But what you've just said is a thing I want to read. A thing called six gun gorilla is not a thing I want to read. Yeah. And I don't know what's wrong with me. No. So. Um, well, nothing. But. The oh, got plenty of things. So Simon Sy, Mr. Spurrier, wrote a quick post about this the other day, saying basically this is. He hasn't decided whether he's writing something called Six Gun Gorilla, which just happens to be smart, or if he's trying to write something smart for people who would buy a comic called Six Gun Gorilla. Sure. But I, I'm not even going to pretend that I fall into the latter camp, and so they're going, yes, this is very clever, very clever indeed. No, I bought a fucking comic about a heavily armed gorilla, and it just happened to be much smarter than I was expecting. I mean, you're, you're a guy who happens to fall in the middle of that Venn diagram, but it was one sure. that pushed you in there rather than tough. Yeah, yeah. I was there for the monkeys, not for the smarts. <laughs> but I got both. <laughs> Roger, what's your second comic? Uh, my second comic is Armour by Frederick Peters, which I recently reviewed on the blog, and which I picked up a thought while I'm talking about it. Um, it's okay, you went to it. You're allowed yeah. to talk about it. It was nice. It was really nice. We did a podcast when we were there. It was 20 minutes long and it was nonsense. Yeah. I talked about Nazis. Well, had any of you been drinking? No. Oh. Had we? We had one beer at lunch. That's not important. Tapanyaki. What's important is armour. No, we didn't go to the horrible racist Tepanyaki place again because it's horrible and racist. It's pretty tasty. It's quite racist. They put a lot of garlic on everything. They did. That was I good. kind of stood under the extractor fan for a while because it was just pumping out garlic. But the garlic doesn't really cancel the racism. The great thing about Leeds, though, is that they were just horrified we didn't want our free pudding, even though we paid know, for it. Brilliant. They couldn't understand the concept. Um, yeah, no. Anyway, please Sorry. continue. Now, that armor by Frederick Peters, which I have read on the blog. Um, this was talked about at... Um, I think one of his other comics was talked about on by someone at They talked the... about Sandcastle a lot, um, which is interesting, because a lot of people were picking that out. It was great, and both me and Lucy have read that, and neither of us thought it was that exciting. Mm-hmm. It was... When Sandcastle wasn't this year, was it? No, it wasn't, but a lot of people brought it up for some reason. I think mainly because very... Pachyderm and Armour both got issued in English this year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it was very, very weird. It felt a bit Twilight Zone. It didn't really feel like it had a lot to say, other than wouldn't it be weird if, if this, this happened? If this thing happened, yeah. Yeah, it'd be bad. This stuff might happen. But it didn't really feel like it went beyond that. It wasn't making any point beyond weird. Yeah. And it felt yeah. lightweight for that reason. Armour doesn't really do that. I've not read the others. Armour doesn't do that. Armour is it's a good old fashioned big weird sci-fi story. Uh, we are going to get this into the common vernacular. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it owes a debt to the Incal and it feels like someone eyed up the Incal, had my problems with it and decided to do it better. It's coherent. It's got a it's it's probably almost as visually stunning, more so in some ways less so in others. Um, you've got this. Down I, don't think, I don't think many people can match Mobius for scale and architecture. No, no and, and it, sheer it, visual clutter. It Jeff can't. Darrow can, but that's about it. It, it can't quite. It's much more pared down. It's like a. It's like a Linclair. Yeah, Mobius, I guess. It's 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 the mad future Tintin would hallucinate. But okay, that's a an interesting I concept. I really hope that goes on the second printing. But, uh, it's it's beautiful. Uh, it, it, it's you've got this down and out guy in a, in a far future society who gets rescued from squalor-ish in complicated circumstances that don't make sense and might be sinister by his brother who is a corporate espionage troubleshooter and sent to recover some mad tech from a lost colony where they find that everything's gone to shit 
and it's structured as an immediate recovery narrative. We wake up with the main character face down in a crater, and as he walks back to the base, he reads his diary. There's this weird visual trope and cultural trope in it with books. Uh, books and printed matter in it are strange and privileged and quasi-magical, because mad future. Uh, and we learn about his past and what's going on. And at the end of the first volume, I believe there are three currently published in French, and the first one is available in English. Yeah, um, just kind of. At the end of it, it's it's pretty classic end of Act One scenario where he's recovered enough of his memory and enough of what's going on to be puzzled and to know that he wants to work out what's going on. And the two parallel narrative strands, the present that he's reading the book in and the past that he's reading the book about, are heading towards the di their divergence point at the end of the first volume so he's, he's nearly caught up and it's just tantalising about what's gone wrong and it's probably got the same structural plot as well it's probably the first act of the Incal bolted onto the plot of Star Trek 2 if, if we're honest here but but that kind of doesn't matter I think I, I can simultaneously cope with that and not quite imagine it so it, what it looks like is happening is there's some like crazy-ass apotheosis, planetary sentience, terraforming shit going on, and that's the background. Um, plus a corporate espionage plotline, plus this feckless waster recovering his life plotline, and they're going to foosh together. That's pretty much Six-Gun Gorilla as well. Mm. The feckless waster recovering his life from printed matter, recovering things from printed matter, mm. sounds quite House of Leavesy. Uh, Dan Livesy. Yes. I didn't read it because it looked a little bit much even for me. It is a bit much, but it's it's one of those things where it's utterly fucking ridiculous and I love it. Hmm. This is an actual book, isn't it? This is an actual book, not a comic book, but it's... Pre released in uh, early 2000s? Yeah. Um, 2003, 4, I think, yeah, maybe? It's, it's giant. It's quite nicely published, although the paperback is shipped. Um, hey, don't just the paperback. But no, they, so they do a floppy. lot more... In, it's American printing. Mm. They do a lot more interesting stuff with colour. So it's very kind of... Mm. It's, it plays around with text. It's metatextual. It's juxtaposy. It's, it does a lot of stuff that you're not meant to do when you make a book. Yeah. Um, and it messes around with colour to that extent in the hardback versions. So the colour does a lot of work in armour as well. Mm -hmm. It's um, the locales have a mood. A, sort of a colour-backed mood. There are rich purples and big reds and... Um, very selected disruptions to the panel structure. It does some gorgeous things where it pulls back to facial detail. It's it's great. It's it's just it's on the one hand it's a classic sci-fi yarn in quite an old school mode, but it's clearly informed by a very modern sentiment and it's beautifully drawn. Lucy, second book. Second book is the hypo. By Noah Ooh. Van Skyver, Skyver. I sorry, no, I don't know how to pronounce your name. Um, which is I reviewed it earlier in the year on the site. It's the melancholic, the, the melancholic young, young Lincoln. Lincoln. It is about Abraham Lincoln's uh, courtship of his future wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, and how that ends quite badly for him, and he kind of goes nuts for a while. And it had a lot of things that I really liked about it. If you want my full opinion, I would suggest you actually go and read the blog post because it was written just after I'd read it and I probably had a lot more coherent thoughts on the actual thing. Now it's just a memory of a thing I enjoyed because I like Abraham Lincoln and I like stuff about sad people. Who doesn't and like Lincoln, really? He's a good dude. I've actually read two books about Lincoln's melancholy in the last two years, maybe three years. It's a subject that interests me. I've read no other books about Lincoln. I only care about the sads, apparently. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's great stuff. The art is 
very well suited to the subject matter. Um, lots of good, you know, the thing where they make the picture look nice. They composition, do an, do an good art. composition. They do an art at it. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. The, the the artist did an art at it, and right. it was good. But no, it's 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 got good historical depth without being too dry a biography. It's it's just very very nice. Uh, it's nicely printed. It's got a nice cover. I like the uh, lettering. The lettering is, is good. It, is it is it is it um, lettering by hand or? It, I believe it's hand lettering, or if not, it's one of those things where they make it look like it's hand lettering mm. by getting the artist to do an alphabet. But it's clear it's not badly kerned. It's so it's as as I recall, it's very readable cursive. Okay, can you? Sorry, and I know I don't normally go for that. I should really pedal back from my mad no, thing about no, no, lettering, no. but. Can this, this, I think this is a formative experience. Can you remember the point at which you'd read enough comics that you genuinely gave a shit about lettering? Because it happens to everyone at some point. And I think it's like, first of all, you read it and go, is that a good story? Then you care about the art. Then you care about the colouring. And then at some point, it just clicks and it's like, fuck lettering. I really need to pay attention to the lettering. Sometimes this is just hacking me off. So I think I was spoiled in that my, early comic exper- my earliest comic experience... And the experiences were Watchmen and Fun Home, both of which have from from good to from serviceable to excellent lettering between them. Um, Fun Home being at the more excellent end, I would say, because just because my printing of Watchmen wasn't great, mm. but it was one of the sort of pulpy ones that they did. They're all that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you have to buy the but it's, it's, you have to buy the absolute to get a spine that won't crack. But it's clear. <sighs> but the absolute's recolored. So, um, and that, that won an award. Yeah, fuck that, I don't care. I think actually the point at which I really... I, I'd known I cared about lettering for a long time because one of my one of my things is I'm prone to sensory overload. Particularly, I can't really handle indistinct visual stuff, so I don't like anything that's really scratchy and black. There are a lot of eras in comics that I just won't fucking touch because they're too visually cluttered and too distorted. And I just... My brain can't tell what the picture is good. horror is not for you. It's not for me. Um, a lot of 80s and 90s isn't for me at all. Early 90s, like the earliest Sandman is just about what I can handle. But that's, it's, I mean, I think we discussed this before, but that is very, a lot of that is very heavily leaning towards the 50s horror style. Sure, sure. Anyway, and I think you know, deliberately so, because a lot of early Hellblazer is the same. But I think, I think some of the kind of mainstream contemporaneous stuff had different visual quirks that I also can't stand. So I knew that I needed things to look nice and clear for me to enjoy them, but the point at which I really realised I gave a shit about lettering was when I, I read a couple of French and French-Canadian comics, and they did it in the French handwriting. So this is uh, Blue is the Warmest Colour, mm. and also Susceptible, which is the um, Genevieve Castré. Yeah, the um, one about her abusive relationship about with her, her abusive mother. relationship with her mother, um, set in Quebec. And I probably because I'm not a French person I find the French style of handwriting quite difficult to pass a lot of the time and it looks very nice but it's not easy on the eyes and that was what I was so like what, what you're talking about is, is a something that leans towards a sort of copper plate style not even copper plate style there is that particular small and curly though small small curly but fatter than copper plate less less loopy yeah. and more rounded okay. um, and tighter and just just makes life more difficult for me. So please, if you're out there, letter things nice and clearly, my eyes will be happy. I also can't go to video game arcades because they're too bright and loud. Thankfully, it's not the 1980s, so you don't really have to. True. Does anything um, set the hypo above other sad comics you've read this year? 
That's an interesting question. So is it just sadder? No, it's not particularly sadder. It's I think I've read things which were much sadder on a personal level. It's the combination of I think sadness and past greatness. It's he was such a great man and he still, you know, had a fucking flake out of a time where they pumped him full of mercury in cold baths and went on to be president. But, you know, yeah, he, he, that, was, that was a year and, you know, he, yeah, he did slavery uh, after that. He did that a lot of other stuff in the other yeah. years, you know, so as, as a kind of generically crazy person, it was nice to know that you can lose a year yeah. to mercury and cold baths and you'll still probably be president one day. That was a good life I message I took away from me. I don't want to be president. They won't let me be president. <laughs> Other things that said it, apart from other sad comics, mm, I guess things that set it apart from other biographical and autobiographical comics was that it's just narratively very good. He tells the story of Lincoln very well. The dialogue flows nicely. You know, all, all the bits that make it a good story as well as an interesting take on a period in someone's life are there, and that really helps. Um, biography can tend towards dryness of facts or wild speculation autobiography you don't have anything but your internal editor to go on you know no one can edit your life even if they can edit your work about your life but this just it, it trod the tightrope very well dave what's your number two and it's not a poop it's not a poop joke my second comic which i think is just always going to be a better way of phrasing that um uh, is the encyclopedia of early earth um by isabel greenberg also reviewed on the blog? Also reviewed on the blog, yes, because we do tend to write about stuff that we like. Um, and for anyone who's not familiar, it's kind of uh, a set of fictional myths uh, for a non-existent version of prehistoric Earth, which is ha handily explained in, in the back matter of the book as being a much smaller version of Earth that the current Earth sits around. It gradually accreted more Earth. Um, and... So there's a, there's a framing story which is based on one of her earlier stories called Love in a Very Cold Climate. It's about oh, two people yes. from opposite poles of the earth who can never touch, um, but they have a life together. And in the meantime, the one of them who is a storyteller tells stories. Um, and so you have this sort of Arabian Nights style um, stories within stories within stories uh, structure where you have... So yeah, you have someone telling stories about the time he told a story and then the story that he told. And it's just really... The thing that really set it apart from other things for me was that it was something that was totally new. I hadn't seen any of her work before and it was just completely assured of its tone. Um, the illustration is uh, kind of sketchy, very, very thick inks almost to the point of looking like woodcuts, but very, very precise nonetheless. Um, which I really like. It's kind of cutesy and cartoony, but everything is framed very deliberately. You have very deliberate pacing, which really feels like oral storytelling, that it's kind of... It is an to, art that as well as yeah. cartoon. Yeah. And then you have these ridiculous little asides within the whole thing. Like, you have... Uh, you know, you have the King's Master Bootlicker and you have ridiculous little asides like that and then you have people talking entirely in the modern vernacular, you have high-fiving Vikings. Um, high-fikings. High-fikings, indeed. And you have all of these little digressions and anachronistic bits and it all feels totally natural. The whole thing feels completely coherent. 
Um, and I think that's why I enjoyed it so much because the entire thing felt like something genuinely considered and it felt like the exact sort of thing that it was meant to be. Um, and I, I like the sort of metafictional stuff. I, I am a nerd for myth and legend mm-hmm. and it feels like myth and legend. A lot of it is based on existing myths on... There's a lot of biblical stuff. Cain and Abel are in there. The Tower of Babel's in there, but retold in quite neat ways. It's just I just really liked it. Is it that kind of Gaiman-esque mythopoesis, or is it something a bit more so something a bit more novel? It's it's. I don't think I don't think there's a single point at which you can say this is how Gaiman does myths. So to relate it to any of his stuff, it's kind of like a Nancy Boys. Um, right. Right. where Anansi Boys is distinct from American Gods, for example, because Anansi Boys is written as though it's a tale being recounted, whereas mm-hmm. American Gods is a book about myths that's written in a an authorial style, but it's not that oral storytelling style. It's novelistic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anansi Boys is has deliberately simpler language. It has a sides. It's very much written as though someone is recounting something mm-hmm. to But American Gods feels like a trashy crime pot boiler that's had to cope with living in an oral history world. Yeah, basically. It's, uh, I mean, as far as I can tell, that's trying to write an Elmer Leonard novel, but it's an Elmer Leonard novel where everyone is a god. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like an anti-boys, and it's like the more playful, um, more traditional end of his, yeah. uh, of his mythic storytelling. But the the whole the fictional and fictionalized myth stuff is really really fun when it's done really well, and this sounds like it's yeah been done like there's that. There's tons of stuff you can play around with, and she's she's done other little comics as well. Like I picked up one at Thought Bubble, which was um, a few selected tales from Hans Christian Andersen, which was also great. It was in broadly the same style, but it was really cool. And then there was a uh, a guided tour of uh, of uh, Barnum's Circus, hmm. which was very, very different. And uh, the art style was more minimalist, less color. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just recounting the exhibits in a sort of carnival, carnival Barker mm-hmm. tone. So because, yeah, because I hadn't read any of her stuff because it just sort of completely felt like something that I would want to read. Um, that's what I would say, Encyclopedia of Early Earth. It was just great and charming and lovely and wonderful. She also did the back cover of the most recent issue of Chloe Noonan. She did, yeah. Which is um, also charming. When I, when I spoke to her at um, Thought Bubble, she said something about being slightly panicked about drawing snow on everything. The back cover of Chloe Noonan also has snow on it. It so, does have snow on it. You know. It's okay. She knows her weaknesses. Her weakness is snow. It's a good thing to be weak about. Maybe. It's Maybe. nice. Cold. Oh, I can't. Yeah. can make an igloo. Yeah. There's igloos in the story. If, I mean, if igloos will tip the balance, there, oh, are, God, yes. there are igloos in Encyclopedia of Early Earth. I want to make one, but it's a ball egg. Didn't we, we do that last year? We, Some we people igloo. did Some people it. made an igloo. Mm. Some people threatened to have sex in the igloo. Really? So, Who threatened to have sex in the igloo? Mm, sex people. 
Okay. In the sex well, when I say some people, I should I should stress that some people we work with, not you know people who would naturally live in an igloo. Well, who are welcome to have sex wherever they choose. They can do whatever they want. In this, out at all. This, this, this was in our car park. Yeah, we because ridiculous Cambridge Tech Company, a bunch of people built an igloo in the car park. Their it's method so was ingenious, though. Their me- the, the mm. sort of taking a plastic crate and using that as the block. Oh, was that how they? Yeah, that's yeah. how they that's, made the blocks. And it, was, cool. it was quick and good. I mean, it wasn't quick because building an igloo is fucking laborious work, but. But anyway, if you like igloos and potentially people having sex in them when they're not repelled by magnetic forces. Ah, oh, so this was going to be my question. I also thought it was magnetism. No, uh, oh, well, fine. yes, but... Fine. Magnetism, magnetism was the, the sub-question. Um, can't touch, yeah. as in mustn't, or can't touch, as in physiologically can't. They can't, get, they can't get within a couple of feet of each other. So it's, That sounds sad. Touching it's, is nice. It's, it's, it's kind of the, 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 the kind of the Persephone... Is it... Not Persephone, um, Orpheus. Yeah. It's can't Orpheus look, in you can't look, and you can't look or you'll be punished. The temptation of mustn't yeah. is no. a very different tonal story to the terrible inability no, to. No, they, they physically cannot they, they physically cannot touch one another, basically because uh, Birdman, who is the god of all things in the Encyclopedia of Early Earth, is a capricious dickhead. Um, and he won't let them. Basically, it looks it looks like the protagonist, who is the storyteller, is is coming close to finding happiness, mm. and that just won't be allowed. So, because his uh, his two kids, who in this is the most beautiful touch in the comic. So Birdman is a giant anthropomorphic eagle in a robe. He is God. He is Horus. He is everything. His kids are two human kids with beaks on elastic. Attached to their faces, and it's just yeah, beautiful. Awesome. It's never commented on. It's just, it's just beautiful, and that, that is what I mean about nailing the tone. It's just, it's yeah. stupid. Never touched. Brilliant. Um, I, w- I wish but, to borrow this. That's a thing I'd like to do. So, but Birdman is uh, he, he is uh, an Old Testament god. He is a capricious bastard. He will meddle in people's affairs for no good reason, and. Uh, so he does. He basically decides that even though they're from opposite poles, which should attract, they do pick up on that. He will not allow it. So uh, it's just basically that the gods are dicks, like they always are in myths. The mm. gods are absolute assholes. Mm. Yes. So that is the it. purpose of the gods. Yeah. Roger, what is your third comic? I wasn't just talking about my bomb. He's got a guilty face, ladies and gents. A very guilty expression on his face. A, a guilty demeanour, you could say. No, my, my third comic is um, Lighter Than My Shadow by Katie Green. And this was really tough for me. Um, but it's absolutely beautiful. So it's, it's a book about a young girl recovering from an eating disorder. And it needs... It's, it's 400, I think something like 408 pages... And it needs maybe like an extra 200 pages of uh, what I hate calling, but we call trigger warnings. I just hate the phrase, it sounds clunky. Mm. Valid concept. It, it's full of, oh god, just, just, oh god, if you've been touched by any of the issues in it, and it's not just the eating disorder, there's some sort of sexual abuse, rape type stuff in there as well, and a bunch of general depression and compulsive disorder type stuff it's hard going but it's a beautiful beautiful treatment of it it's uh it, it's a beautiful book it's um i, I want to talk about it all i want to i, I want to talk about the way it's 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 designed and the way the 
colour work because I want to talk about the framing. Um, well, we were down to the thread count of the paper a while ago, so... But it's got that. It's got really good. It's got, like, sad comics print grade. It's it's thick. It's thick paper. The paper has multiple tones. You'll see... So it looks, like, weirdly dappled down, mm. the, down the side because uh, it's, it's black inks on... Well, it is printed, but it's designed to look like it's not printed. It's designed to look like the colour of the underlying paper is giving you the, the kind of the negative tones. Mm-hmm. And some of it is greenish-grey, some of it is greyish-green. I can actually perceive those. That's nice. Uh, some of it is white, some of it is black. So it does a lot of its mood and colour work with... It is printing, but it's designed to look like paper stock. That sounds like a fairly limited palette. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. It looks, so it looks like, and it reads like, certainly for the first third and it changes later. It's like, you know the the, um, the obsessive compulsion sections of Fun Home? Yes. Where Bechtel is, is developing these little behaviours to cope with the world. Uh, so visually it's a little bit like Fun Home, it's like a sort of slightly cuter cross between Fun Home and Blankets visually, and tonally it's like someone expanded those sections of Fun Home via some of the sensibilities of Blankets. Mm-hmm. Katie, young girl, it's autobiographical. I don't know how modulated. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's fairly, always hard to tell. I think it's fairly straight up, but I'm not sure. In which case, it's also, oh it's, God, I just I hope I hope she's okay. Um, it's very hard to do autobiography without any internal bias, though. It's very hard not to filter it somehow. So, little girl has difficulties eating and has predispositions to obsessive behaviours in childhood. As adolescence encroaches, this becomes more and more problematic. She has a first wave of anorexia, which culminates in some problems and passing out and nearly being hospitalised. Problems. And that's kind of the first third of the book. And then there's an interstitial semi-recovery phase um, in which she meets a weird alternative holistic therapist who it turns out has sexually abused her. And then the the final third is um, university days where she's nearly recovering but there's a kind of binging semi-bulimic end to the food stuff and she recovers the memories of and remembers and works out with works out and deals with the fact that she has actually been sexually abused and it all just goes even more wrong and then the beginnings it ends at the beginning of a recognizable recovery there's there's a little compressed sort of everything's going to be okay coda at the end but it's 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 so visually gorgeous. It, the the panel structure there are little the panel the um, the gutters are sort of wibbly little lines. It's all designed to look like it's been torn out of brown parcel paper, mm-hmm. although the the colours of the paper are variable. Sure. And the guttering structure makes it look like sort of assembled and shuffled parcel uh, parcel paper pieces. Which is in itself an interesting comment yeah. on autobiography. Yeah. And probably that that changes, the mix changes throughout the book and there are a couple of stages where the pages are all black. I think that's the first blackout. And then there's, it all goes white and goes to very tight line work as she recreates and redraws herself on plain white pages which is a sort of semi-hallucinatory sequence in the middle of a suicide attempt. But you've got a fairly regular like panel flow that occasionally breaks out into these one and two page spreads that are achingly beautiful. There's a running motif in it of this sketchy, wibbly, scratchy, scribbly cross-hatching, which, is, which begins when she's a child and is made up of very crab writing of some of the phrases that are used to bully her. 
and then modulates and becomes the things that she hates about herself. Mm -hmm. And then it persistently becomes a motif of this black cloud hovering over her that occasionally sort of swoops down and moves around the panels. And it could be a very... To someone that wasn't as good at this shit, that could be a very lazy device. Like, here's my black cloud, way. But she uses it extraordinarily well. It moves and creates moods. It sort of moves in and out of her head. It sort of zooms down into the pen when she's cathartically drawing. It's a shadow sometimes. Very similar treatment to um, David B's um, treatment of epilepsy. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes. yes. Uh, There's this wonderful... uh, it, it's it's very early on, and it was the surprise of the page turn. It really used the format very well. It, just one of the, the double page spreads that just got me is her. It's it's um it's a series. Of, it's a double page spread with six full page, sorry, three on each page, full page panels. Um, curled up in bed, progressively going to sleep, and then the dream. And she's twitchy, and there are visible collarbones, and painfully thin, lying in bed, twitching. And then floating, surrounded by this cross-hatching of the black cloud, imagining herself progressively more bloated, and she's just begun to learn that she can draw, and is using this to draw a meat-cuts diagram on herself, and in the final frame, slicing bits off. And it's just... It's it's beautiful, but it's horrible. And it continues with... It occasionally sort of breaks out in these these gorgeous panels, and... (sighs) I don't know. Maybe maybe I loved it so much because I've touched the edges of some of this shit. I don't know, but it, it conveys the mood and the need for control and some of the stuff that goes on in your head very very well. It's it's human. It's accessible and it's utterly beautiful. Well, this is going to be what I'm reading on Christmas evening, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Two years ago, it was blankets, and that's yeah. a trend. It's very long, but it is a quick read. Same with blankets. It's, it's, I the, assume the, it's the panels tend to large, yeah. and there's a lot of extended pure visual sequences. Although you do you enjoy dallying over those. Her visual style is superficially simple, mm-hmm. but there's a lot in some of the panels. I, I think the most critical I'm going to be of it is that sometimes there's some stuff telegraphed slightly heavy-handedly visually. The thing she manages not to do with the cloud, she sometimes does with some other visual devices. Mm-hmm. Um. So there's a visual motif with the uh, the alternative therapist that molests her. There's this kind of weird line style, very different motif about the feelings she's sort of feeling and the way it's centred on the page and it, it gives you a bit of foreshadowing as to what's going on without ever confirming it. But it's then it's picked up as a brief motif um, throughout some of the other sections and it could uncharitably be seen as a little heavy-handed, but fuck it, the rest is so well done. Mm-hmm. Well, roll on Christmas. It's really good. Lucy, I, what is your third and presumably final selection? Well, it's a shift in tone, for one. <laughs> <laughs> um, my third selection is not actually a thing which was new this year, but something which has been really in its own element this year, which is John Allison's wonderful, wonderful Bad Machinery. Mm. The current plot arc, which is just concluding, um, has been absolutely fantastic. His his way of mixing actual teenage idiom with his own slightly weird idiom that he kind of foists onto these teenagers is 
just genius. It's he says stuff that he makes them say stuff that people don't say, but people should and conceivably would say. Yeah, they're, they're kind of funny as you want you and your friends to be. Exactly, but they're also not. If you and your friends were that funny, you'd be very aware of it and very self-congratulatory. And actually, these kids are just fucking hilarious and don't seem to give a shit, and that's wonderful. I mean, so I've, I've just caught up on. I've been on holiday the last week, so I sort of caught up on a week and a half's worth of strips this afternoon, and just some panels which would be the funniest thing in an entire book, just kind of thrown away in the middle of one of his daily strips. So you've just read the, uh, the presumably the high school version of Glengarry Glen Ross. Yes. <laughs> Which that sounds amazing. Incredible. Oh, and also the, the panel just where Lottie says, Sean, I can't let you go home with those meatball eyes. You can borrow my teaspoons. <laughs> <laughs> so incredible. It's, and you know, I can always get two tubby gingers and a wig wham. He's just got brilliant, brilliant lines. And the art continues to be delightful and engaging. And the story is great. I mean... So it is entirely in its own idiom, isn't it? Yes. And that has, but it seems to. Have but been, it's not off-putting. It no, and it also seems to be fixed. Like it's not something that's slowly developed. It's always been there. That weird yeah. idiom. It's it's less. You can trace the evolution of it less easily than you can Akewood, which you really see hit its own idiom a couple of years in. I mean, I guess, I mean, John Allison's been making webcomics for years, yeah, so he's, he did a he's had time of, to... a couple of other distinct stories before this, which probably helps. Yes, which I've delved into, and this is, this is my favourite. This is the best of his work, as far as I'm concerned. And, yeah, it's, it's charming, and it's delightful, and I, I really enjoyed the current plot arc, actually, because I was kind of interested to see where it would go so the previous two have very much been mystery solving teens solve slightly supernatural but not really mystery you know somewhere between nancy drew and scooby-doo but with really funny teenagers in the north of england yeah and this one went a bit space and time and loopy and you know fucking around in the edges of physics in ways that aren't possible and I didn't know how I was going to enjoy that as it panned out when he first kind of introduced it. But actually, it was just fucking great. Trust Alison. Trust him. I trust Alison. He can repel walls with his comics. <laughs> I picked up um, Giant Days 3. Um, Giant Days, for anyone who doesn't know, is a sort of continuation of Bad Machinery in that it sort of takes one of the same characters and places them at university. I think it's her older sister. Oh, is it? I think so. It's one of the DeGroots, anyway. Yeah, it's Esther. Uh, they look the same, but, you know, older and more metal. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it, um, yeah, it, it, it's basically set in the same universe, but around university, and it's just, again, incredibly funny, and there's no real mysteries, or the, the stories are much smaller. Like, mm-hmm. this one's about the uh, presidency of their university's indie rock club. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fucking daft, but they're great. I genuinely love both his art style and um, his, his bizarre turn of phrase. Yes, equally lovable characters, equally sort of dippy and delightful, but just a bit less in-depth as a story. I, I've really enjoyed the Giant Day series as well. I, I really like that he does side comics when he's not doing the main comic, because that means I get more comics. Yeah, a lot of people actually have thought about this year were um, talking about that his sort of um, very short horror comic mm-hmm. 
which Ivan read, but he published towards the end of last year, and lots it, yeah. of people were very, very excited about that. So that's ba- that's your homework. Basically, cool. we all need to read that mm-hmm. at some point. That's the lowercase t, but it is also called that. Well, we'll we'll read that, and that we'll get we'll right on that. I'm sorry. That. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I um, long story short, I love John Ellison, and he's so particularly good this year. Particularly good this year, definitely. Um, I mean, I've sort of loved Change it of since format it, as well. Yes, I've loved it since it started, but it. So I've, it's one of the few comics that I've actually read from more or less the beginning, and it. It wasn't that it was finding its feet; it was more that I needed a couple of arcs to pan out to kind of really get my teeth into yeah. it. But I'm I'm sort of immersed enough in it this year, and it's been so consistently funny and good that it's one of my top three picks. And he's always very charming and bashful when you compliment him in person so I will continue doing that oh. Dave hello what's your number three I don't even know what that is is that like pooing and peeing at the same time or it's when you vomit in the sink as well oh cool or on your junk if you're sitting on the toilet That's a no because oh. the, the sink at home was next to the toilet so you were a lucky just lean over. teenager <laughs> yeah I was lucky both in, in terms of my height which allowed for that and the position of the sink creme de morph no, no, I don't think so. Just a lot of beer, a lot of beer. Yeah. You never have the, the adolescent creme de menthe regret. I never throw up on creme de menthe, no. No. Do you still have to brush your teeth if you do that? You probably should. You probably should, yeah, because there's a bit oh. of stomach acid mixed in. Not straight away, though, because then you just rub the acid into the enamel. So you, do, do you, you should sluice with water a few times first. This is all good information. The gross weakness of moral fortitude at um, the tail end of prep school, I ended up getting confirmed. And um, yeah, High Anglican? Yeah, very high Anglican. Very high Anglican. Not quite Anglo-Catholic, but not Skirt and incest and everything. Yeah. And, uh, Him or the priest? After, after my confirmation, my folks took me out for dinner, which was very nice. And some of my family, which I wasn't expecting. That was nice. And we ended up getting absolutely shit-faced on Creme de Mont in a hotel bar, and I was 13, and it was weird. Were you sick? Yeah. What's, he was sick. <laughs> what's your confirmation name, if you can remember? I honestly have no idea. I... Did you take one, or is that is just that a because of the Creme de Mont? <laughs> was it Creme de Maybe it was Creme de Did Creme de Mont rob you of your true name in the eyes of God? Yeah. Would Creme de Mont do that? <laughs> Creme de Month is without sin I, or blame. I, I believe Creme de Month stole my true name. Well. I think... Well. Then. Are we going to move next 20, year into creating comics? Because this is a story that needs 20, to be 20, 2014 podcast, the story of Roger's true name. We're going to go and retrieve his true name. I'm presuming it's somewhere in the Holy Land. I, We're no, going to get Indiana Jones on this shit. It's ship. more like a hotel bar in Durham. That is I am not my going, holy I am, land. I am not going to Durham. I don't care how much it helps you. I am not. Durham's going. nice. And in my religion, the hotel bar happens to be the holy land. Yeah. Creme de Month is our blood of Christ equivalent. Yeah, more like nice. puke of Roger. But <laughs> yeah. Apparently I'm worshipping you now. This has gone weird. Yeah, I find it odd. <sighs> See, what's See what I'm trying to lure you into the Honda Civic all the time. <laughs> It's for worship. That's my church on wheels. <laughs> it's got heated pews. Seriously, though, you need you need to find out your confirmation name over Christmas. Otherwise, we are actually going to try and seek this out. I'll ask my dad. A weird pilgrimage. They're not like writing on a little card for you or anything. We were in all, case of creme de menthe. We the were all super shit faced. I really hope it's Batman. I'm just. <laughs> 
I don't I don't want to jinx it, but I really hope your confirmation name is Batman. Does everyone get a confirmation name? Catholics yeah. all do. I don't I don't I didn't maybe, get one so maybe, maybe we weren't that high Anglican. It's probably if Teresa. Not, if you got one, it's probably Teresa. Everyone's confirmation name is fucking Teresa. If not, we'll, we'll, we will give you a confirmation name. It's Teresa. Teresa Green, I like friend of Batman. If, look, if it turns out you don't have one, the one you're getting is Batman, so... <laughs> if my choices are Batman, Teresa, and Cramden Hobbs... <laughs> Why not all three? Dave, tell us about some comics before I cry. So my, my third pick uh, for 2013... It's our final comic, isn't it? Yeah. Just about. Uh, is Eustace by S.J. Harris. Oh, it is good. It is very good. Um, and I think the reason... Did I hear there was a sequel? It sort of looked like it. He seemed mm. to be drawing one. There was a more adult Eustace... Rumbly bumbly. ...played on the internet. Um, so I think the reason I like it as much as I did was I, I think I was the last of us to read it, wasn't I? Mm. Um, was that it sort of takes that tradition of 20th century British kids books where you have the narrator who is slightly wiser than the adults around him and and guides the kids he's talking to in the first person uh, in sort of his ways of dealing with adults and you sort of have him at the start dealing with his aunts and talks about you know I'll put up with a kiss and then I get money and so on and that's how you deal with aunts and I'm very clever in doing this and then it rapidly transpires that this narrative that he's creating for himself from a sickbed where he is this sort of witty, urbane and slightly ahead of the game protagonist is not true at all. He is in no way equipped to cope because his world is much more surreal and the adults are much more unpleasant, cruel and neglectful than they actually would be in in the sort of kids' literature that his idiom comes from. It's a very disturbed place to live. Well, it's it's yeah. like a Saki story, but like one of the ones about kids that carries on so much too long that it takes you into cringe. Yeah. I mean, it's not cringe comedy, but you, structurally, there's, you know, it, you could imagine Clovis or the, the kid in, um, the one that makes me think of most strongly is the kid in Sredni Vashtar. Is it actually called Sredni Vashtar? I don't know. The one the poor cat ferret. I don't know. Don't I haven't know. actually read him. Oh, right. Um, We've had this discussion before. You were disappointed, yes, sorry, then no, you're disappointed now. I'm not disappointed. Not many people have read Saki. Mm. I feel like I ought to have, though. There's a Penguin classic if you feel like it. Mm. Between the two of you and Charles, got a really, really to. weird cover. But it's got a big grinning mask mm. with a sticking out tongue. Yes, it's got that sort of arch, semi-savant child protagonist, and then stretches beyond those boundaries in a gently, fascinatingly horrifying way. But it takes it. It takes its time, and so he's. Um, it, he continues with this this way of speaking, his sort of whispered asides and his very clever, to him, uh, ways of dealing with his world. And he, he just does not get the world and it becomes more and more apparent than that. And it doesn't help that his world is surreal beyond measure. Mm. Um, well, yes, he's got a speakeasy operating under his bed. Yes. Um, and some kind of brothel in his wardrobe. Yeah, does, yeah. Um, but basi- basically, his, his wicked, his wicked uncle turns up at um, uh, partway through the story, and because he's on the lamb, will not let anyone who finds him in Eustace's room uh, out of the room, and so gradually there is this sort of whirling. Uh, non-stop party happening with secondary services built up around it as yeah, a service with industry. prostitution and drugs and 
uh, a bar, and I think Eustace is, is kind of the host at, at points as well. He, he makes a martini, he mm-hmm. makes a good martini from the looks of things. And it's demented in that sort of controlled way, but I really like the way that it plays with the 20th century and the various bits of 20th century literature and that sort of kid-led narrative and just goes dark and does not at any point actually relent from that. Mm. And the, But the unravelling is so gentle and slow and loose and louche. Yeah. It takes you a minute to realise it's happening. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. I think if you came into it completely blind, which, uh, you know, anyone who's listening to this cannot, sorry, um, it would be a, a genuinely quite a startling narrative. Mm. Um, and the, the postscript as well, the newspaper article, was just... <sighs> Brilliant. Yeah, it's just, is there any, is there, is there some sort of chance of escape or redemption? No. No, there is not. No, none at all. But there, is, there is no, and then he woke up and it was all a dream mm. possibility built in. No, it's just it. Which there kind of inherently is in a lot of fiction, even if most people choose not to address it or play with it. But this mm. is, no, this is waking reality. Yeah, and it sort of plays with it in this, in the sense that because he's, in sort of the early parts of the novel, he's sick and he's being ignored and his asides are ignored and then you get the uncle turns up and just says who are you talking to um, so his, his narration is just out loud to an empty room yeah. and there's a sort of jarring moment where you realise yeah. that and it's quite quite unpleasant but yeah because it's horrible and gets more horrible that's, that's why I really enjoyed it yeah he also has probably the worst fictional father out of any of the terrible fictional fathers of that genre <laughs> Yeah, this a, is very he's a bad true. dad. Really I also like the, um, the, the there's a sort of it's implied but never explained that he may not actually be sick at all. He might just be so neglected by his parents and just actually not fed that he's wound up in a sick bed and never got out of it because everyone just assumes that he's incredibly sick. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's there's a, his his yeah his his frailty is unspecified. Yeah. Apparent. Yeah. Psychosomatic physical. But it's, Neglectful, yeah, whatever, but it's never truly explained and it may well be just the fault of his useless fucking parents. So do we, I mean, we've, we've covered a few cool things in quite a bit of detail. Any, any last odds and ends? I've got a couple. So there's, yeah, there's a few that I couldn't quite fit into three, but I definitely would have fit into five. Um, first of which is uh, Naming Monsters by Hannah Eaton, which I've uh, talked about before, but is a, uh, a story of... Um, a young girl sort of dealing with uh, her issues and the form that they take is a sort of OCD-like recantation of the names of various monsters and the way that it's structured is there are the monsters, these do this and they have parallels into her life and it's um, I think it uh, it won the the new graphic novel prize that Myriad Editions run in 2012 and came out this year are you um, going to step up for the Black Projects? I would do, yeah. Black Projects very, came very close as well, mm. which um, which also won that prize. Mm. Um, and it, again, is... It's about, it's about a, a young boy who is, who is narrating, and, and the whole thing is done in uh, sort of uh, lino print mm. and yeah. embroidery. And it's kind of implied that it's his diary, but... Mm. It's basically about him in less than ideal family situation and 
uh, he, him sort of acting out and trying to research, although it's kind of unspecified how he feels this would be research, researching his nascent sexuality by creating girlfriends from himself out of craft materials. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, that's a disturbing premise, but it's handled kind of... It, it's handled sympathetically. It's never really stated that he's abnormal in any way, just that he's kind of odd, kind of a loner, lashing out of the world a little bit, and doesn't really have anywhere he can go, anywhere he can turn, other than inwardly, and this is how he finds out about the things that he wants to find out. And it's... it's um, you won't see another book like it. I will... I will state that pretty categorically it does not look like anything else out there um, and it's kind of fascinating mm-hmm. um, and dark and weird and the other thing I would say is um, uh, Copra uh, by Michel Fife I think his name is pronounced but it's uh, I, I honestly don't know and Copra is basically a superhero comic thank you Dave and uh, I want to state categorically that the man has, has crazy artistic skills. It's all very deliberate, but it's drawn as though... It's, it's almost as though something that was drawn in the sketchbook of a kid in the 80s. It's, mm-hmm. it's made up of recycled um, superhero concepts from the 80s. Or stuff that still persists to this day and existed before, but it's the mm-hmm. 80s. It's categorically the 80s because one of the characters... He's basically Frank Miller drawing Grace Jones. Um, it's so 80s, it hurts. Um, it's, it's basically a sort of take on Suicide Squad, the DC series, if um, someone was just mashing together all of the comics that they liked as a kid at that time. And because, because um, Five the Artist draws, I think, a page a day, or something ludicrous. He has an insane schedule where he publishes one of these a month and it's really quite a long comic. Um, They have this sort of scrappy, energetic feel and they have these huge nods to Frank Miller and Steve Ditko. But the main thing, the main reason I like it is that it takes all of this stuff, it explicitly borrows from other places and it does it in an imaginative way. It's not lazy or a crutch. Um, It takes it off in weird batshit directions and takes so much stuff so like you'll see the Punisher Doctor Strange Suicide Squad um, tons and tons and tons of comic references but it's not done in a way that you'd probably be familiar with where it's played for laughs or it's I saw this reference I'm very clever to have done it it's all just this sort of slightly mad coherent world that's almost someone playing with their action figures cool. and doing so in a very clever way. Cool. Those are my quick, quick additional picks. I'm going to be slightly quicker because um, I have less to say about mine because we've talked about them before. But um, I didn't get profit into the mix. It's great. We've talked about it in detail. Mm-hmm. It's like a madder version of armor. It's big weird sci-fi, but those capitals are like the capital B and the capital W are fucking huge. It's great. It, just, just, just go and read it. It's. Are we talking like illuminated drop caps here? Yeah, it's fucking manuscript style drop caps. It's, it's mad far future sci-fi. It's visually beautiful. It's got a series of artists on it. It's Brandon Graham revising an old. Um, Rob Liefeld. Thank you. Property. I don't like to say that. It, no. I'm worried he'll appear. 
You have to say it three times. Okay. Into well, a baseball cap. Well, we're, there's very little risk that we're going to say that three times. Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. Um, it's fantastic. Whatever. Just, just fucking go and read it. Um, we talked about webcomics earlier. I, I think Prince of Cats, despite actually being a little bit disposable, is having a really, really good year. It's a romance webcomic. I, we talked about it on the very first podcast, I think, um, when we did yeah. webcomics. But it had a step change in... Uh, step change implies better or going up a scale. It had a big shift in art style earlier this year, and it was already quite good. You read it from the beginning, and you can see it get linearly better in the same way you can a lot of webcomics. But it suddenly shifted into something far more painty and slight, and it's just rather lovely to look at. It's a fairly slow teenage love story. It's occasionally a little bit on the nose. I'm a bit worried it might be about to do a sort of slightly phoned in AIDS story. I don't think it is. I think it's just being a little bit earnest about sexual health awareness, but it's possible it's going to do a slightly clumsy AIDS story. But even regardless of that, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very nice, tender piece of work, and I think it's, it's one of the... It's, just, it's, it's, a good, it's good web comics. Lucy? I continue to enjoy Saga, like most people with eyes. Um, I also very much enjoyed Erica Moen's Oh Joy Sex Toy, which we've talked yes. about probably six times on the podcast already, which was a new thing this year mm. and is great. It's I mean, I've, I've enjoyed her work for many years and this is her doing a thing in an area I'm interested in, in a good and enticing and very healthy way. And I wholeheartedly approve of that. And long may it continue. Yes. It also saves me wasting a bunch of money on sex toys I'm probably not going to want. Mm. She made me the one she the sex club review made review made me want to go to a sex club. And Same. I'm like, and I I'm, don't want to go to a sex no, club. No, I'm timid and vanilla as all hell. She hasn't done the Eiffel Tower dildo yet, but she should. Mm. I honestly, don't, I think if they get to the point where they're reviewing novelty tourist dildos, that's probably the point <laughs> at which that trip should just stop. One man's novelty tourist dildo is another's work of dildo art. There is probably one person out there who is just profoundly attracted to the, the Eiffel Tower, in which case, To be honest bravo. with you, I think this thing might be too brightly coloured and plastic for them. They, you know, if they're really into the Eiffel Tower, they're going to want it to have rivets and stuff. And the oh. Eiffel Tower dildo, whilst riveting, is not riveted. And it's I'm going to know. go now and die. It's good to know. I think... I well, think that's it. I think there's no possible further commentary that could be made on 2013. No. That was 2013. There were still a few weeks left, but nothing's going to happen. Nothing, nothing, nothing important is going to happen. Drinking. I don't think. So 2013 was basically comics, dildos, and oversharing. I think that's covered. Every- oh, and wine. Yeah. Some some lovely wine. Let's be honest. We're not going to do anything different in 2014 no, no I intend to also be alive during it mm. it's, and may or may not oh, I didn't. It. I didn't talk about the best wine of the podcast of the year what was the best wine do you know I, this is the thing I, I haven't been making notes it was probably one of the Beaujolais but I honestly can't remember okay so next year you're going to make notes yeah can Look I also have that. a novelty segment Sure. What what's your novelty segment going to be? Probably talking about my fanny. Let's be honest. That's not really something that we've excluded so far. It's certainly a novelty, though. The fanny, not me talking about it. It's like a cave of wonders down there. Yeah, I can kind of hear the Wurlitzer from here. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just pouring quarters out of it constantly. Ding ding ching, ding ching ding ching ching ching. Pull my arm down. People, it's been a charming year. Kinda. Let's leave it there. Hurrah!
Take it from Roger, ladies and gents.